the no diet approach in general, the idea that diets don't work, that dieting doesn't work, has certainly percolated and filtered down into mainstream uh, consciousness. I think the rise of mindfulness has really helped with that, certainly. And I think uh, the biggest challenge we're facing now is, is that because so many of the uh, outfits in, in the diet industry have cottoned on to the fact that dieting actually is, you know, has become something of a dirty word and is no longer fashionable, um, what we're hearing a lot of now is healthy eating and clean eating. Um, and actually, that's just, that's just another diet. Uh, you know, if someone is telling you what to eat or what not to eat and how much of it to eat and when to eat it, and that is focused on weight loss, then it is a diet. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hi there. Welcome to this week's podcast. So this week you'll hear a conversation that I had with Audrey Boss and um, Audrey founded Beyond Chocolate with her sister Sophie. And so what's Beyond Chocolate? Beyond Chocolate is the UK's biggest no diet um, approach um, to life actually. (laughs) And um, so there's a long story behind it which you get to listen to, kind of interesting um, as to why and how they came about deciding that to ditch the diets and that diets didn't work um but there's also a lot of science behind it as well and a lot of um greater understanding about how the human body works and why diets don't work and so this is the story of beyond chocolate uk based company enjoy the first question that i asked audrey was to tell us a little bit about herself so here's audrey So my name is Audrey Boss, and uh, I guess I have many hats, uh, but the one I'm here uh, with uh, today is my Beyond Chocolate hat. Uh, and Beyond Chocolate is a uh, an organization that I created with my sister uh, 17 years ago now. We were just talking about that this morning and saying, wow, we've been going for 17 years. Um, And we created Beyond Chocolate because uh, both of us had uh, been serial dieters, uh, yo-yo dieters for many, many years. And um, I was uh, bulimic. Uh, My sister, if not an eating disorder, certainly had very disordered eating. Um, And we both grew up in the same family, but we never really talked about this. Uh, There was a lot of competition in my family between me and my sister and my mother to see who could be the thinnest, and so we were perennially on on diets. But we never really talked about, uh, I guess, you know, the dark side of that, uh, which was the food obsession and the shame, uh, and of course the being unable to stick uh, to any diet for very long, um, and the, you know, the pig out periods in between. And when I uh, reached the age of about 28, I woke up one morning and I was about to embark on yet another diet. I remember it was a few months before the summer, and I'd gone out and I'd bought um, I'd bought myself a pair of shorts that was uh, two sizes too small, and I'd taped it to my fridge door because I'd read somewhere that that was a good way to motivate myself to lose weight. Um, And I was lying in bed, I remember it was a Monday morning because diets always started on a Monday, and I was lying in bed and I was doing what I was really good at, which was fantasizing on how good I was gonna be. 
like how this one was going to be different, how I was going to get it really right. I was going to stick to the plan. I was going to do everything perfectly. Um, I have no idea what diet it was. It was, you know, one of the nth diets that I had tried. It was probably from a book. Um, in fact, I do remember, I think it was uh, the Atkins or the precursor of the Atkins was called the zone diet. Uh, so it was one of the very first low carb diets that was around. And, uh, and I was planning how good I was going to be. And I was fantasizing about how I was going to lose all this weight. And um, I don't know if you know, any of your listeners will relate to this, but I used to make a plan of how much weight I was going to lose and how much time I had. Um, and it was going to be amazing. And I was going to get to the summer thin and beautiful and happy because I really believed that if I could just lose weight um, and be thin, then I would be happy and all my problems would be miraculously solved. And so I was lying there doing this fantasizing and I had a, an epiphany, I guess. Um, although at the time it felt more like despair, I suddenly had a really clear, loud voice that said to me, this is hopeless, it's not going to work. And it was, you know, when we talk about hitting the bottom of the barrel, it really was. It was like I'd been dieting since the age of 11. Uh, I weighed f far, far more than I'd ever started out. Um, every diet I did seemed to last less time. The uh, binging uh, in between diets was was more intense and longer periods each time. And if I managed to lose any weight at all, it would just come straight back on, plus a little more each time. So by the time I was 28, I was overweight, uh, m obsessed with, with food, um, thinking about it all the time. Uh, what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat, how much of it I was going to eat, uh, what I wasn't allowed to eat, what I'd eaten. Uh, and of course, when on good days, uh, you know, counting calories or whatever, counting portions, uh, feeling virtuous uh, and, and hungry all the time. Uh, and on bad days, also planning the binges um, and feeling just ashamed, out of control, miserable, hating my body, hating my body. Really, really, um, really tough on myself about it comparing myself constantly to other women, wondering how. I, I remember I, I'd go to parties and I'd look at women who were thinner than me and I'd think, what does she eat? What does she do? And I, and I used to think that if I could just copy what they did, then I would be able to do that too and look like them and, and be happy. And so this voice resounded in my head on this Monday morning saying, this isn't going to work. Like, it's not going to work like none of the others have worked. And Something inside me broke, and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't go on another diet. Um, and at the time, because of the way I'd been brought up and you know, the messages that society gave me, um, if I wasn't dieting, though, that was the slippery path to, 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 to just eating myself into the grave. Um, I had no idea what I could do instead of dieting. The opposite of dieting looked like giving in and going on a free-for-all binge for the rest of my life and getting fatter and fatter uh, and more and more miserable. And so I did what I, what I usually do in times of um, existential crisis. I went onto Amazon and I started looking for books that I could read that perhaps might help me.
and I came across a book by Janine Roth called, at the time it was called How to Break Free from Compulsive Eating. She has now um, re, uh, republished it with a new title, which I think is um, How to Break Free from Emotional Eating, I think. Um, and although I never really heard of the word compulsive eating, it was you know, kind of as what it does on the tin, so I understood, but I'd never heard of that term. I'd never really heard of eating disorders. Eating disorders for me were people who had anorexia. Uh, but something on the back of the, the, you know, the blurb of the book, it just spoke to me. What Janine Roth suggested in this book was that there was nothing wrong with me not being able to stick to the diets. It wasn't because I was weak or pathetic or greedy or lazy. It was because the diets didn't work. And that actually there was a whole way of approaching my relationship with food, which I could put into action right then and there, um, which turned out to be intuitive eating, um, that I could do instead of dieting. And it was an absolute revelation, the relief that I felt when I, when I read this book. And I read this book, and in this book, what Janine Roth told me was that I could stop dieting today, right now, and I could never, ever do that again. I never had to do that again. And then she gave me a load of tools to go away and experiment with. And also what she did was show me that I wasn't the only one. Rationally, I knew that I couldn't be the only person to have such a messed up, shameful, tortured uh, desperate relationship with food and my body, but somewhere at the back of my mind, I truly believed that I was the only one who did certain things. Like nobody was as bad as me. Um, the secret eating, the the trying to stop myself eating by throwing food in the bin and then throwing ashes over it in the ashtray and then going back and dusting it off and eating it anyway. Um, the all night just binging, the grazing all day. Um, she really, she really showed me that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't broken and that actually I was the victim of, um, of an industry, of a, of a social message, um, ultimately, you know, of what we're fighting for also with feminism today. Uh, the idea that women have to be small and slim to be acceptable in this world. And... And that was it. That was all I needed. That was all the permission I needed to stop dieting. And I put the book down and I swore to myself that I would never, ever restrict or my food intake or deprive myself of food or eat by anybody else's rules except for my own ever again. Um, and that was the start of my um, foray into intuitive eating. And I spend the summer with my sisters. I spend the summers with my sister. Uh, in Italy and I took the book with me and I left it lying around and she picked it up and then one day and she didn't say anything and I saw she was reading it and I didn't really think much of it um, and then one day we were sitting on the terrace and said, you know that book that you've been reading I've read it too like do you feel that way about food and eating and we had oh, I don't know, maybe a four-hour conversation where it all came out, where we, you know, we, we were honest with each other and we told each other what it had been like all these years um, to go on these diets, to compete with each other about for losing weight. Um, and, you know, we shared a, a funny story. My mother um, has, a, uh, has a crystal bowl in the, 
in her dining room uh, where she has um, peanuts for the guests. And so when guests come over, the crystal bowl gets put on the table with drinks and guests can help themselves to peanuts. And it, it makes a really specific pinging sound when you take the lid off the bowl. It goes kind of ping. And my sister and I figured out that we'd both made secret trips from our bedrooms, you know, at night to go and fill up our little ramkins that my mother had uh, in the kitchen with these peanuts so that we could eat during the night. Because one of the things I did was I would read and eat. Uh, it would be a great escape for me. I would spend my nights uh, reading fiction and eating whatever I could get my hands on. But these peanuts were one of the things that I did. And we kind of you know, we had a moment of wonder that we'd never bumped into each other in the corridor um, going to get the peanuts and that we'd never, and we giggled over the fact that we, you know, we would take great care in putting the lid back so it wouldn't ping uh, and alert other people in the house that we were helping ourselves to, to peanuts. And so we had a moment of, you know, real connection with my sister and we made a vow to do this together. Uh, and then the summer finished and, you know, uh, I went back to work and so did my sister and we kept on talking about it and one of the things that Janine Roth suggested in her book was to set up a self-help group. Maybe it wasn't in Janine's book, maybe by then I was reading everything I could get my hands on so I think perhaps I was reading something by Susie Orbach, maybe Fat is a Feminist Issue. And Susie Orbach, Fat is a Feminist Issue, um, at the back uh, gives you know some advice on how to, how to support yourself um, to make such a radical change because it is a radical change. You know, when everyone around you is dieting and that's the culture, um, saying I'm not doing that is a, is a big step and uh, connection and, and support makes all the difference. And so she was saying, create your own self-help groups and support yourself like that. So my sister and I decided we were going to create a self-help group and we put up a, an ad in the local news agents and, and nobody showed up. And, and so we didn't know what to do. We felt quite, um, quite dispirited. And then I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, you know, the thing is you're not offering anything. Like, I don't want to go and sit there and commiserate with you about how I can't diet and what to do instead. Cause I have no idea. So if you offer something, why don't you do like a workshop or a class or something? And, and so we did, we ran, uh, our first workshop in 2000. Um, it was a weekend workshop in a country house um, in Gloucestershire in the UK. And we had six women there. Uh, three of them were journalists. Um, three of them were regular punters. Um, and when I think back now, I, I feel really tender about this workshop because it was really a mishmash. I mean, this was two years on from when I first picked up the book. And, you know, in the interim of these two years, We'd been reading everything we could get our hands on, working with people, um, working therapeutically, uh, doing other self-development courses um, in different areas, and supporting each other, and really exploring um, all the different resources that we could find on intuitive eating, the no-diet approach, mindful eating. Um, there were you know, lots of people already who had uh, written some really amazing books on the subject. Um, and there was nothing in the UK, uh, which is why we decided to set up an organization called Beyond Chocolate um, and run our first workshop, which I was telling you about. Uh, and it was, 
it was a revelation. It was amazing to sit there in a circle of women uh, who all shared the same experiences and who got it and who had the same um, wonder and excitement and, and relief at the idea of being able to ditch the diets once and for all and to do something that was that was radically different and that was based on self-awareness and self-care um, and mindfulness. Um, and so tell me, how did... How has Beyond Chocolate grown in the last 17 years then since that first meeting? Wow. So we went from having these six women on a workshop, uh, three of whom were journalists and who actually wrote some uh, really good pieces for us in uh, national newspapers. And, and so we were able to grow from there. Uh, but I remember we used to send out a newsletter and the first newsletters we used to send out, we used to send out to 50 people and we used to print them off and send them in the post. Um, now we have 5,000 uh, people who are on our emailing list. Uh, we've uh, grown a huge community over the years. Um, we've really become the point of reference for the no diet approach in the, in the UK. Um, we have uh, several Facebook groups with hundreds of members on them. Uh, we run an online course where we have people from all over the world uh, who take part in it. Uh, we run regular workshops uh, and retreats, uh, and we have a, a really, a really amazing community. It's one of the few communities I know where there is total tolerance and respect, and a real welcoming and holding um, of 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 people. Which means that Sophie and I are not the only ones doing the holding. One of our principles when we developed Beyond Chocolate, we took really the best of what we found in all the approaches. That we'd, um, that we'd worked with. And of course, uh, our work was informed by all the other work that we did. I have always worked in catering and food um, and cookery. So that was, you know, that informed uh, what we did. And my sister Sophie's a psychotherapist. Um, so she's a humanistic psychotherapist. So that really informed our work as well. Um, and one of our principles is be your own guru. And it's really important to us that we don't become the the voice of the program beyond chocolate, uh, that we don't tell people what to do. This is one of the gripes that we have with the dieting industry and with the wellness and health industry nowadays too, with you know clean eating, et cetera, um, is the idea that someone out there knows better than you, that someone out there knows uh, what your body needs um, and how much of it it needs and, and that people start to really to, that we start to empower people to, to build that trust again in themselves, um, which, which is innate. Um, so we have a community where we have many volunteers um, and, and you know, people who have been around for a long time who moderate our forums and our Facebook groups, uh, who post on our page, um, who Twitter for us. It's a really, um, a really energetic and uh, lively group of people. And I'm really proud of it because I think there's nothing quite like that uh, out there. So um, my next question is, in the last 17 years, um, what, what do you think has been the biggest struggle for Beyond Chocolate? And what would you say is the biggest success? Ah, well, I think, um, I think our biggest struggle is, and it's a real catch-22, what we do is really difficult to explain. You know, when you uh, don't have a before and an after, when I can't say to people, uh, do this for three months and you'll lose, you know, 
50 pounds or whatever it is. Um, it's very difficult to, to talk about the, the benefits uh, of what the approach brings because it's so far reaching um, and also because it takes a little time. So unlike diets, you know, if you think about most people come to us and they've been dieting or having a really miserable time with food for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and that takes some time to undo. So it's not sexy. Um, it's not as sexy as a, as a Weight Watchers program, as a 12-week you know, uh, um, detox reset. Um, it, it, it requires a little bit more investment. Um, so it's difficult to explain what we do for a start. Um, and I think that, and also what happens is that uh, many people come to us and what they think they want is weight loss. What they think is the most important thing that will change their life is to lose weight. If they could lose weight, then everything will be all right in their life. And because of the non-diet, because of the way the non-diet approach is structured, actually the only way to possibly lose weight is to let go of wanting to lose weight is to actually focus on having a completely different relationship with food and our body. Um, and when we do that, we give our bodies a chance to, to reach a weight that's, that's, that's comfortable, that's natural uh, for our bodies. And that also depends so much on how many diets we've done and how healthy we are and what our activity levels are and how the diets that we've done have affected our metabolism, you know, where our starting point is, um, what kind of disordered eating or eating disorders we bring to the pot, we're all unique individuals and no one loses and gains weight in the same way. So it's a little bit messy and it's difficult to present in a, in, in, in a, in a sexy package. The other thing, the other obstacle that we come up against is this, is that we have a base of raving fans, people who really whose life, lives we've changed. And these people are really happy to talk about that within the community. So if you go onto one of our Facebook groups, you know, we have uh, members who regularly celebrate successes. Um, and often those successes have nothing to do with weight loss. Um, many of our members get to a point where um, they either lose weight, but it's so not the important thing. It's kind of a byproduct, a consequence of having a healthy, balanced, relaxed relationship with food and their bodies. So they kind of don't even mention it anymore because it's so unimportant and they are so clear that that's not what's made the difference. And this also means that they're very reluctant to speak about it um, outside of the community because our relationship with food is, you know, it's one of the taboos. It's really based in a lot of shame. A lot of people have a lot of shame around how they eat and what they eat and how much they eat and what their weight looks like and what their body looks like. And so it's a very delicate subject to branch uh, with, with other people who don't know, um, who are not yet, if you, see, if you like, initiated into the whole no diet approach. Um, and because some of them actually uh, don't lose weight, um, but they either stabilize or they decide they don't want to lose weight. They don't care about that anymore. Um, it means in the outside world and, you know, in the general um, society we live in today, they're not regarded as successes. Um, so they find it difficult to broach the subject with other people. And so I think this has really limited our growth. Um, you know, if we were selling widgets or if we were even doing 
Um, I'm thinking of something like Headspace, like a you know a, a mind a basic mindfulness um, program. I think people would be a lot happier to talk about us and recommend us. Um, whereas we find that our our most hardcore fans are the ones who um, find it most difficult to 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 talk about us and to enroll other people onto our program for us. And because we're a small organization run by two women who are also mothers, um, I'm sure you know what that's like, Tabitha. Um, you know, we have limited resources uh, and limited time, uh, and certainly we don't have the budgets that you know the big diet industry has, uh, which is the other way that we would reach a much wider um, audience. Yeah, because you're so you're up against a monster there. We're up against uh, uh, several monsters there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's and and I suppose that's also part of the challenge has been to run a company that uh, reflects our ethics and our values. And so monetizing this program has been a real struggle, actually, uh, because on the one hand, we want as many people to access this content, this information, this philosophy, this approach as possible. Um, and on the other hand, we're looking to make a living um, out of it, obviously. Uh, and because part of what we do is is actually activism, um, it, it it doesn't always sit well to monetize activism and politics. You know, it's a there's a big overlap there. So I think that's also been one of our challenges. Um, as to the successes, well, we have published two books. Uh, one in 2006, which is called Beyond Chocolate, How to Stop Dieting and Lose Weight for Good. And one in 2012, which is called Beyond Temptation, How to Stop Overeating and Feel Normal and in Control Around Food. And I am really immensely proud of those two books. Um, they, we have had over, um, I think it's, I think it's a hundred five-star reviews on Amazon for our Beyond Chocolate book, which is, Really amazing, considering it's a you know a, a small book from a small publishing firm, um, and you know that didn't have a big uh, media platform. So you know we're not celebrities. Um, we're not celebrities, which means that we didn't get a big media platform. So the books have done incredibly well, and I'm really proud of that. Um, and I think just for me, our biggest success has been um, to build such a, an amazing um, community. And to really make a difference in the landscape um, of the dieting world in the UK. And um, I, uh, so I'm, as most people can tell, I'm British, but I've moved to America. And this is, uh, both, both countries, there's a large degree of fat phobia, that's for sure. Um, but I sometimes think it's actually worse in the UK. Um, I wonder if you've done much work in sort of uh, overseas and wonder how the UK sort of compares in terms of that. Yeah, I think um, I hadn't considered that the US and the UK were different. Uh, but I think that might be because there is so very much uh, anti-fat, you know, phobia um, activism in, in the US. Um, certainly... Um, that's what's spearheading the movement. Mm. I think there's more awareness because I think uh, the so-called obesity crisis is more in focus in the U.S. I think there's more focus also on the on the other side of the coin, um, which is health at every size. 
you know, a lot of fat activists, a lot of fat positive activists out there. Um, so that I think there might be, you know, as usual, the U.S. is 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 riding the tide, is, is you know, riding the tide of change a little bit sooner than the U.K. Um, certainly, I think the U.K. is uh, very fat phobic. Um, it's it's embedded deep in the national psyche. Uh, and I'm I, I lived in Italy for 15 years, and I regularly spend time down there. It's where we run our retreats. Um, and I worked in Italy for a long time, and I wrote a blog post about this. Uh, maybe you can link it to your to your podcast, actually, because it's exactly about that. Where I was reflecting on the fact that um, having grown up in in Italy in the summer, uh, I grew up from a very young age seeing uh, women of various ages and sizes and completely different body types uh, in in, uh, in in bathing costumes, you know, in swimsuits on the beach, um, and they were. I think in the UK, because it's a much colder country, uh, people tend to stay clothed a lot more. We don't see a lot of flesh. Mm. It doesn't, it's, you know, it's not warm very much. So people are usually uh, clothed. Um, and the only naked bodies we see really are the bodies that we see on television and in the magazines and on the billboards, which are all perfect, you know, the perfectly mm -hmm. uh, airbrushed bodies. So I think people in the UK and in colder countries grow up, um, grow up with, less of an idea of what women really look like. Whereas in Italy, you know, every kid grows up with uh, seeing their mother, their, their, their grandmother, their sisters, their aunts, uh, teenagers, um, for many months of the years with a lot more um, flesh on show, which means that people have a much better idea of what, what a normal woman's body actually looks like. With that, I, I also, I mean, if this is there's there's a huge fat phobia problem in the U.S. as well. Like for sure, it's huge. I just think I I, I often think that slightly worse in the U.K. and um, especially among NHS health professionals, I tend to think as well, which is a bit sticky. It's it's one of the ongoing battles that we have, and it's an, you know it's another one of these reasons why it's difficult um, for us sometimes to to get our name out there and to get uh, more people on board is that most health professionals uh, are, are, you know, the most fat phobic people there are. And they really are clueless as to um, what research so shows, which is that dieting doesn't work and in fact uh, exacerbates the problem, uh, not only of weight, because actually weight is just a symptom, but it exacerbates the problem of, of disordered eating. Um, and and definitely doesn't help. And what what we see over and over again is people going to their you know their, their GPs, their doctors, um, and and being told for for whatever they bring, whether they have you know an ache in their foot or or a, or a throat infection, um, if they appear to be overweight, the first thing they're told is they need to lose weight. Um, and then uh, because the dieting industry is so powerful uh, in this country. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of lobbying going on. Um, doctors, uh, the, the advice that they give is to go on a diet, and so mostly patients are advised to go on Weight Watchers. Sometimes they're given free vouchers. Sometimes it's Slimming World, um, and sometimes it's even very low calorie diets, diets like Lighter Life. Um, so there's a real issue uh, in at a real political and national level on how. Um, how weight management is treated uh, within the healthcare system, definitely. And doctors are often uh, completely clueless 
um, as to uh, as to what the solutions are. And do you think that um, in the UK you've seen as any positive change in regard to that over the years? We uh, often ask people how they found us, and more and more people are ticking the box recommended by a healthcare professional. Um, so uh, we know for a fact that more and more uh, doctors, especially young uh, women, GPs, um, have come across our book or have come across our website and are now recommending us uh, to their patients. Um, so that's definitely getting better. You know, I also remember when we started 17 years ago and we, we talked to people about what we did and we said, you know, this is about teaching women how to stop dieting. Um, and, and listen to their bodies and, and eat in tune with, with their appetite and their hunger, um, they had no idea what we were on, what we were on about. Uh, they really didn't. They, they, they thought we were, we were crazy. Um, I remember we, we, we did a, you know, one of these exhibitions, sort of a new life, new you exhibition, you know, where, where there's lots of um, career changes and ideas for, for, for new things that people can do. And we got stuck in the, in the corner with the crystal healing um, you know, and the, and the alternative therapy. <laughs> Sorry, because, that's really funny. Yeah, because, you know, what we did was considered completely off the wall. You know, nowadays, when I tell, when people say to me, what do you do? And I say, oh, I work with a no diet approach. I, te I teach women how to stop dieting. Uh, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, they get it. So I think uh, the, 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 um, the no diet approach in general, the idea that diets don't work, that dieting doesn't work, has certainly percolated and filtered down into mainstream uh, consciousness. I think the rise of mindfulness has really helped with that, um, certainly. And I think uh, the biggest challenge we're facing now is, is that because so many of the uh, outfits in, in the diet industry have cottoned on to the fact that dieting actually is you know, it's become something of a dirty word and is no longer fashionable. Um, what we're hearing a lot of now is healthy eating and clean eating. Um, and actually, that's just that's just another diet. Uh, you know, if someone is telling you what to eat or what not to eat and how much of it to eat and when to eat it, and that is focused on weight loss, then it is a diet. Yes. It doesn't matter what and it actually, is. Healthy eating and clean eating, it's just, it's almost worse version because it just uses those words, healthy and clean. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we see a lot of people coming to us saying, but, I, you know, I'm just trying, I'm not, I'm not dieting. I'm just trying to have a healthy diet. And the reality is that, you know, I'm, if we keep on cutting out foods and food groups because someone else has told us that and that our ultimate aim is to lose weight, um, even if that's couched behind, you know, being healthier, um, then it is doomed to failure, just like any other diet, because actually there is no, uh, there is no evidence that that uh, being um, that the size of our body, that our weight, uh, is correlated with our health. You know, it is it is possible to be fat and healthy and and underweight and unhealthy. We know that. So um, I'd be safe in assuming that uh, you guys are uh, uh, fans of the health at every size movement. We are. We're fans of the health at every size movement, and we also believe that if that women are entitled to make decisions for themselves on what size they want to be within the limits of what's possible for them and also by asking themselves how do I have to eat in order to be the size that I want to be and that question results very often in a discrepancy in order to be the size that I would like to be 
I would have to eat in a very restrictive manner. Can I do that? No. So how can I eat most in alignment with what I believe will benefit my body? So that question that you just asked about, um, you know, what weight you want to be, I mean, do you ever have people explore why they want to be fat weight and, oh, then, yes. and then change their minds? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> one of the very, um, one of the first lessons um, on our online course is the diet mentality. And we look at where we get our information from. We do like a, it's like, a, um, uh, I don't know if an American, uh, do you know what an MOT is? Yeah, well, I do, but I'm English. <laughs> yes. So what's the equivalent in America? Well, it's like we, we don't have an MOT. You just have to have an emissions test. And even that, you only have to have that once oh. every 10 years or something ridiculous. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess what we do is we, we do a kind of stock check, a stock take of where you're at right now in your diet history, with your diet past, where you're going. And we ask a lot of questions and, you know, to, to get people to identify, okay, so like, you know, many people have a target weight, for example, and on this target weight is pinned all sorts of miraculous things that will happen once we reach this target weight. And so the questions we ask is, how did you decide that target weight? Who told you that this target weight was the one that you that you needed to strive for? What will happen when you reach this target weight? Uh, what will be different in your life? Is there anything that can be different which which requires you to be that specific weight? What would happen if you never reached that weight in your life? You know, lots of questions to get people to really understand that weight loss and, the, and, the, and you know, the, the perfect weight that we want to be often is based on, well, things that have nothing to do with, 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 with what weight we can be, with what our life actually looks like, um, and often not based in any reality. And we look at also how it serves us to be a certain weight. You know, many of us, um, use our fat um, as a way of protecting ourselves, uh, as a way of keeping distance with other people. You know, often when I first came across the concept that actually my fat might be serving me, um, I was completely uh, in disbelief uh, and in disagreement with that statement. Uh, I thought that might be true for other people, but certainly in my case, my fat had nothing to offer me uh, and it definitely was not serving a positive function in my life. Um, and the more I allowed myself to explore that, the more I allowed myself to own my body, to connect with my body, um, to really look at, at, at what it meant to be in my body now, uh, and what I thought I might, might be different if I was a different size. And also realizing that I'd been different sizes, I'd been thin and, you know, apart from the euphoria of, I don't know, maybe the first week of having achieved my target weight, you know, then it was all. It was all anxiety about not putting it back on uh, and, of course, of fighting the, the binges because of the diet I'd just come off. So I knew that actually uh, the size of my body did not dictate in any way the size of my life. Uh, I knew that intellectually, but really being able to work with that um, and having worked with, you know, with many women over the years, um, what, what, what we, the place that we get to is that often uh, the fantasy that we have uh, sometimes is unrealistic. Um, well, often is unrealistic. Um, I agree. <laughs> but, you know, um, my, my experiences with 
anorexia um so so quite different always but you know it's also worked with a lot of people with binge eating disorder and and you know also disordered eating um which can be uncomfortable if not life-threatening like something like anorexia is um so what do you what do you um just beyond chocolate have any plans what's what's up what's up next for you guys well, what's up next is um, we, it, very, very next is we have a, an intensive uh, workshop that we're running in London um, uh, next month, which is a four hour, uh, which is um, really like a dive into the whole uh, Beyond Chocolate approach. And that's really exciting. We haven't done one of these for a long time. Um, so we're always excited to do that. Um, they're very lively events. We're also, for the first time in many years, uh, running our retreat again in the south of Italy, which is really exciting. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that because uh, what I've been doing also in the last few years is I've started to uh, really look at the um, at the embodied side of the work that we do, uh, which is really working with the body and mo- in movement uh, to do some of the therapeutic work that we that we do in Beyond Chocolate. Um, and I've been training as a, an open floor dance teacher. And so on our retreat, we're going to be adding um, embodied movement sessions as well as workshop sessions, so talking sessions, um, as well as sessions in the kitchen, uh, cooking uh, with food preparation. So I think the, the way we're taking it is really to look at it um, from a 360 degree angle um, and looking at um, all the areas in which our relationship with food and our body uh, are impacted and how we can work with them. Um, and we are looking at developing an app possibly as well. Uh, that is the next step, definitely. Oh, what would that, I mean, you might not want to say if it's sort of top secret, but I'm interested in what that might look like. Um, well, the, the Beyond Chocolate approach is based on, on 10 principles, um, I'm sure many of which will be familiar to you, which are eat when you're hungry, stop when you're satisfied, um, Put the food on a plate, sit down and focus. Uh, eat foods that you enjoy, that you like. Um, enjoy in general. Um, bring back enjoyment. Uh, own your body. Move. Support yourself and be your own guru. And so the, um, the app would be based on uh, our current online course, uh, which goes through each principle um, and explores that with uh, worksheets and interactive um, um, elements where you can um, set yourself um, alerts, reminders. Um, the, this this kind of approach requires um, a lot of uh, self awareness. Uh, it requires a real willingness to explore and be curious about how we do things, um, because when we have an awareness of how we eat. Um, and why we eat, then we have the information that we need to start uh, making um, making changes. Uh, when we know uh, how we work, then we can do things differently. And then doing things differently takes practice. And what we know is that the the diet approach tends to be do everything all in one go, get it, you know, be perfect. Um, whereas the Beyond Chocolate approach is very much about taking one step at a time, one day at a time, one small action at a time. So. Um, we have a lot of action points, for example, that we suggest in each lesson of the online course. And the app, for example, would have a daily action uh, a reminder. Uh, it would have, we, we offer a tool which is called Tuning In, uh, which is really a, a mindfulness-based 
um, tool where we invite people to check in with uh, what they're thinking, uh, how they're feeling emotionally, and what is happening uh, in their body. At any given time, this is especially useful in times of overeating um, and to tune into you know, if we're hungry and how much we need to eat. Um, and so we have that on the website. We have a, a, a tune-in tracker where you can go in and it kind of guides you through it. Mm-hmm. So that would be on the app. It would just make things um, more more available. I think nowadays people are on their phones a lot more than they are on their you know, laptops and their computers. So it would just mean that Beyond Chocolate would be um, mobile, extremely mobile and carryable uh, and there would be support on tap i'm just going to butt in here and say that i think this is a fabulous idea support on tap just as audrey said and we had a bit of a chat after i finished recording um because as many of you will know um i'm developing a online meal support service and also an extension of that now is a unlimited text support service so that people can get real-time support from a recovery coach when they need it. Sort of, if you're out shopping and you can't decide what to buy and you just need a person to help you make that decision, or if you are going out for a meal for a first time and you need a person to just give you that support and encouragement that it wouldn't really be kind of like relevant to ask the other people at the table. Sometimes that's the truth for us. As adults in recovery, there are pretty harsh realities about who is understanding or not about the fact that we have an eating disorder and what we need to do in order to recover from it. Um, or even for if you are just at home on your own and you're trying to get through a meal time, but you don't want to see somebody, so online video support is not for you, but you, you want to text someone and write things down. Um, so as Audrey said, um, um, it's that on the spot, meeting you where you are, support. And I think what they're talking about of developing with an app here for the Beyond Chocolate approach is fantastic news. Um, let's keep our eyes on that. And when I hear more about it, I'll let you guys know as well. Okay, back to the conversation. We also work with a lot of people who are just fed up, frustrated serial dieters who have had enough and who are really at a loss at what to do next. Um, and who have very disordered eating um, and who probably wouldn't um, be be diagnosed with an eating disorder. You know, I think it's 80% of women really. I only, you know, how many women, Tabitha, do you know who have a naturally relaxed, easy, balanced, healthful relationship with food? I know some that have, but only after they have gone through the opposite of that and come out the other side. Correct. That's what I mean. You know, there are so few people who naturally, I know a handful of, of women, especially, um, who kind of just have that. You know, most of the women I know are, you know, anywhere from sick, you know, really um, ill, making themselves ill through their relationship with food or just really not very happy, you know, just worrying about their weight all the time and worrying about what they're going to eat and, oh I shouldn't have that and and constantly trying to find the next fix and just really being putting a lot of energy and time and money and focus into um into eating differently and looking different and really not getting very far and feeling 
a little bit hopeless and, and ashamed around that. Yeah, and I actually think that it's it's a larger percentage of men as well than is at all recognised, just because it's so much more acceptable to, for women to talk about dieting and not being happy with their bodies and X, Y, Z. But I also know a lot of men that very really struggle as well. I completely agree with you. In fact, over the years we've had, uh, we're, we're, we're quite a... Um, a feminine or a, a woman-friendly, let's let's put, organization. Uh, you know, when we started 17 years ago, our our knowledge and our learning about gender and sexuality were not what they are today, and so we weren't very inclusive. And so a lot of our content was developed, um, you know, for women. And I say this: if you could see me, I'm you know doing big inverted commas with my fingers. Um, <laughs> nowadays, you know, we've grown. We we know a lot more about uh, gender and sexuality, and so we offer everyone. Um, and and over the years, we've had a lot of men come to us, ask, you know, how about a program for men? Um, how about something, you know, specifically for the masculine uh, side of, of the relationship with food in their body? And so if you have any listeners out there, um, any men out there who would be interested in, in, you know, in speaking with us and seeing how we can work in, in, in more male environments, we'd be really happy to do that. It's time. I still think societal pressure today is more biased towards um towards women's bodies i think there's more control there's more of a policing but at some level it is still somehow acceptable for a man to be overweight mm -hmm. if uh he is powerful and rich yes absolutely as, as it is totally unacceptable for a woman to be overweight however powerful brilliant um intelligent uh enlightened uh, she is. So I think there's still a bit. And what I see more and more with men uh, is orthorexia, actually, um, is an obsession with, uh, you know, healthy eating, clean eating, um, and, and a lot of cutting out food groups, um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of orthorexia. Yes. How do you, how do you suggest that this person needs help? You know, on, on paper, he's a model fitness, you know, and health uh, role, right? Yep. Uh, so it is, it's very, um, and, and, you know, we work more and more with, uh, with, with women who, who have this too. So women who, who exercise obsessively, um, and who restrict, um, their eating, um, really quite drastically, uh, in order to, uh, fall in line with with any of the, you know, there are so many clean eating actually covers a, a, a real, a, a really big umbrella, um, of, of eating approaches um, and it's any one of those you know from veganism to paleo to juicing to smoothies to all whenever I see a sort of because on Facebook um, I don't know why people invite me to things like clean eating cleanse week or something because they, <laughs> they usually bite off more than they can chew when, when they yeah. invite me to those things but I still often think like is this still a thing hasn't this gone out of fashion yet because yeah. it's just it's so boring and the yeah. whole clean, the, the clean bit especially gets to me. I mean, who wants to be good girl clean anyway, honestly? Also, this this placing moral value on certain foods. So there are two things that really I really get my back up on this one. One is the is the placing you know moral values on what we eat, suggesting that people are morally deficient because they eat certain things. Um, you know, and often what I what I see and and this is you know in in my in my job as a food and eating coach because I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of hands-on work with actually I I call it redefining healthy eating 
Um, I don't give any nutrition advice at all. What I do is I guide I, I guide my clients to figure out for themselves what is a healthy diet and then how to eat in alignment with that. Um, and what, what really, I think what really depresses me uh, and angers me about uh, many of the clean eating gurus out there is that they make an assumption that, that other people can, can eat the way that they uh, propose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often uh, these people are making a living out of it um, they they are wealthy. They're, they're nearly always uh, exclusively white, able-bodied, um, and and wealthy. Um, and they have you know hours to dedicate to making themselves this food and to sourcing it. They have the money that is needed to buy all these special ingredients. Um, and they and and they and what they're saying is, if you can do this, if you can be like me, then uh, you're 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 clean. And healthy, and if you can't be like me, then you're the opposite of that. And you know, most of the women that I work with, Tabitha, they commute for you know up to an hour, two hours a day. They have uh, office jobs where they have to sit in an office for eight hours. Um, they have three kids at home. Uh, they they have to do the laundry. Um, they don't have uh, incredible health food shops uh, within walking distance of where they live. Um, you know, suggesting that they go home and spend hours. Um, making all manner of weird and wonderful sounding dishes is is completely help is 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 really unhelpful and and counterproductive because what they end up doing is thinking that it's not worth trying at all and 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 then really eating foods that that are not helpful for their for their bodies and for their health. Absolutely, um, and it's so much more. They, you know, the, the whole clean eating movement, and especially you know when when you're talking there, what comes to mind is sort of Instagram clean eating people accounts and they make it as if it's about the food but really it's it's not about the food it's about them saying be like me and you'll be healthy and happy and happy is them they're selling happiness there um and and honestly i i think that if you can you can get bust a gut to make a kale and brown rice smoothie at 11 a.m i don't think that means you're going to have a happier life well, it may be for some people, you know, some people, she, the, the person who makes the, the kale and brown rice smoothie and then posts it on Instagram and has a million followers and has got cookbooks and, and TV shows and really good deals for her blog. It works for her. Mm. She's happier as a result of it. And the truth is that it's not going to make anyone else happy necessarily. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that she would suggest that that's possible, there's a presumption there. And an exclusiveness, you know, most people do not have the possibility to eat that way. They can find out more about us on our website, which is uh, beyondchocolate.co.uk, beyond chocolate, all in one word. We're also on Facebook. We have a page. It's Beyond Chocolate. We are also on Twitter. We're Beyond Chocolate. Um, and you can read our books. They're sold on Amazon, um, US and UK, uh, and the books are called Beyond Chocolate and Beyond Temptation. So a huge thank you to Audrey Boss for talking to me. I'm always excited to talk to anybody that's been doing a non-diet approach for a while now, and they've been doing it for 17 years. It's a little more... Oh, I guess I should say trendy. I think non-diet's coming a, a bit trendy now, at least in some circles it is anyway, to say sort of, well, sod that to clean eating. I'm going to eat dirty instead and have a bit of a giggle about it. Um, 
but it hasn't for sure um it hasn't been that way until quite recently and so 17 years ago i can imagine that a non-diet approach was very out there and, and very different and maybe people were a little bit suspicious of that diets don't cause eating disorders it's genetics but diet culture doesn't help us in recovery that's for sure and diet culture certainly doesn't help people with eating disorders i linked to audrey and beyond chocolate in the show notes so you can check them out run over and say hi maybe on twitter or facebook and if you are in the tweet space then why not come over and say hi to me as well my handle is at love underscore fat underscore and i'm on instagram also so just come over and say hi tweet at me cheers and until next time cheerio